Uh, well, welcome everyone and good morning. Um, I didn't get my name tag today, naughty. Uh, my name is Tim, if you don't know me, and uh, uh, my wife Natasha, and I've got two kids, uh, Tristan and Adelaide. They're 10 and 8, um, now turning 11 and 9 this year, goodness. Um, but um, but that, that is me, and, uh, but you'll hear a lot more about me, uh, sorry, uh, not sorry, um, because today, um, when I was asked to speak as part of the Life Verse um, series, um, I couldn't get out of my head, and I just actually let, sat with it for a while because the first thing that came to mind was just my story. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I considered all sorts of alternatives, but I just kept coming back to um, my own story. I brought props. Uh, we'll see how that goes, but um, but uh, bear with me. Um, I'd love to to just um, maybe humor you a little bit um, with with um, my story and, and God's. God's um, grabbing of it. Um, but before we get there, um, I just wanted to offer um, a point of pause um, to acknowledge this time of the year. It is the beginning. Um, and to be mindful of our environment and our state of mind. You know, resolutions, maybe you believe in them, maybe, maybe not. But uh, one way or the other, some expectations are rolling into this new year. And uh, all the whilst, uh, oh, December bills are coming due. Um, rhythms are returning. It's back to work. It's back to school. It's back to the day-to-day. -day. Uh, our calendars are accumulating at breakneck pace, all these entries um, at pace and frequency. And the gyms are full for now. Um, but with all of this and more happening at once, I, I, I realize that many of us have entered this place on the frazzled side of things. It's only three weeks into January, officially today, 21st. And the acknowledgement of that very point can also lead us to become more frazzled. Um, so can I just encourage us, encourage myself, to just pause the frazzling this morning? Take a big, big deep breath in and out and listen in. As I said, I'm going to share some of my story, but my, my prayer is that it be um, on, the only parts that come through are what, what God wants you to hear. So would you pray with me? God, we come to you this morning, and uh, we're all in different places and spaces right now in state of mind, and, and, and more than that, um, we are certainly uh, um, distracted in some way, shape, or form on any given morning. <laughs> So, Father, won't you pause our hearts, quiet our minds, open our ears, and let us lean in to what you have to say this morning. Father, we're all ears. Amen. We put them on number plates. We emblazon them on, emblazon them on our desktops or profile backgrounds, and maybe even tattoo them on our bodies. Life verses. But what makes one or two life verses out of the 31,102 in the Bible a life verse? Well, definition, the best one I could find and, 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 uh, and clued together based on uh, what others have to say about them is a, a life verse is a verse that is, has inspired you and one that you hold on to for life because it gives you hope. It encourages your passion to follow Christ and reminds you of one or more of his promises. Now, a couple of things about life verses. 
about what they are and what they aren't. They are not directly biblical, as in like having a life verse. If you don't have a life verse and have never had one, this, this is okay. It's okay. It's not a, a biblical directive or mandate, but they're beneficial. <laughs> Scripture impact um, doesn't begin or end with life verses. And life verses are not just for the moment. Uh, they encourage and inspire for seasons or longer, hence that word life. They can be life-changing, but I love how Peter Jenkins mentioned a couple weeks ago, they can be life-guiding as well. Life-changing, life-guiding. A life verse, I like to think, finds you, not the other way around. God implants it in your path, one way or the other. And a life verse points to God, not you. A life verse points to God and what he's doing, not you. Certainly you, he's doing work in you, but it's not about you or me. And most obviously, perhaps, but it worth saying out loud at this stage, is life verses are directly from the Bible. They're taken from the Bible. They're not made up. Um, as beautiful as lyrics are, and many of them are inspired by Scripture, a life verse is, is right out of the Bible. Scripture from the Bible is God's word, and that's why it's so important, because the sole fact that gives any life verse power and impact is because it's God's word. 2 Timothy 3 says this, all scripture is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Hebrews 4 says it this way, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. So the only reason why a life first would have power is because it's straight from the Bible. All scripture is God-breathed. I want to tell you a story. It's my story. Or it's just a story that God is telling through me. And I want to do a quick run through childhood. So just hold on. Some of you know this about me because I've been around for a little while. Some of you may not. Even those of you maybe who have known me a little while. I'm not necessarily that public with my, my back, background. But my, my father was a pastor for 47 years same church. Um, my mother was a school music teacher. Um, they are both loving retirement right now. I am one of three children. I have a twin brother, Jim, and an older sister, Amy. I was a quiet child. I was very introverted, definitely. Um, art, the visual arts, was a big part of my life. Um, in my early life, I would draw a lot. I would, I would start picking up the paintbrush as well. And and I would always choose to, to draw very intricate things, things with great detail. Um, at this time in my life, it was all about my Transformer toys. They, they just had so much intricacy that I, I loved them as a subject to draw. And, and I also developed a talent to, to draw portraits, specifically um, self-portraits. I really enjoyed and had gotten into other medium, uh, media. In my final year at high school, I had a senior portfolio ready to send off to art school. Um, and uh, in the end, though, lots another story, but basically I ended up choosing a path of mechanical engineering. Um, and I, have, uh, um, I went on to, to university to get two degrees in mechanical engineering. Academics were very significant for me. Um, from a young age, I experienced um, academic achievement, um, especially in math and science, hence engineering, I guess. Um, but this continued through to, to uh, high school and beyond. And if there was a theme, if there was a thread you could just put through my, my childhood and even to this day, 
um, it would have been perfection or the perception of it. And there's, there's some good parts about that and there's some not so good parts about that thread. In art, when drawing my Transformer toys, I would include every painstaking detail. Yet when I look at these drawings today, and I did the last time I visited um, my parents' home, which they're still existing in a portfolio in the corner of the basement, um, they were far from perfect. <laughs> Lines were skewed, uh, proportions wrong. Um, in high school, a computer art class, I'll never forget, we were using Mac Paint. I don't know if any of you remember Mac Paint back in the 80s. Ooh, that's dating me now. Um, I spent months on one project, an image of a classic Corvette, my favorite car at the time, uh, capturing every shape and reflection on its glossy paintwork until my art teacher had to pull me aside and tell me that it's time to move on because the other students have already done two projects since that one and I had to actually, I need to, I need to stop. I need to know when to say the project is finished, that there was more to do. So this idea of perfection uh, affected my academic life as well. In grade one, at six years old, I'll never forget this, when I received my first imperfect mark, a minus one, I, l I missed one on a, on a quiz. I broke into te tears. The teacher had to take me out to the hallway to try to console me. I, I'll never forget this. Mrs. O'Leary, she, she tried in vain attempt. Uh, yeah, it was, it was hard, but, but um, we got over it <laughs> together. From then on, of course, I wasn't uh, getting perfect uh, marks every day, and I might not have shed tears in the future. I learned my lesson. But, um, but, but the less than perfect marks always bothered me. Tests didn't come natural for me. I wasn't one of those who just walked in without studying. I actually had to pour hours into studying to the point of memorization and learned how to excel in the school system. As a result, in middle school and high school, I graduated at the top of my class. But this achievement came at the expense of my nerves, my time, my friendships, of which I only had a few at that stage. I'll come back to the pursuit of perfection in a moment, but fast forward to today. I have a particularly large amount of reflection going on in my brain this year, uh, in my heart and mind as well. And this year, a month from today, 21st of February, I'm turning 46. And uh, so I'm officially closer to 50 than 40, actually. Oh. Um, but I want to zero in on my time in my life, with, which happens to be exactly half my age, 23. I was the, in uh, my first year of grad school, and I was studying at the same university at which I had received my under, undergraduate degree just a few months prior to that. And I was experiencing a, a now but not yet freedom. It was a light course load, nothing like what, what I was experiencing in my fourth year of undergrad, but it was combined with a long-term thesis project. It was a two-year degree, so I had about a year and a half to go, and I hadn't even started the thesis, you know, plenty of time. But uh, I'll show you. So I found this. This is my thesis. It's, uh, I don't even know how many pages. I, don't, I, I think I wanted to forget it when I was done. I was, but, um, but this is my thesis, and the, and the official title, let me tell you this, Informal Visual Information in Conceptual Product Design. Um, Informal visual information conceptual project design. This product design, this was a project of mine that I, by my graduate advisor, basically said, hey, listen, pick, pick subject and we'll go, we're on a journey together. And uh, I wanted to include my, my love for art, which I had since left, of course, um, in, in first engineering, and of course my, my knowledge of engineering. And it was a beautiful little marriage. 
But I, I didn't get to it for a while. I procrastinated majorly. And as a result, it created a life, a day-to-day -day life in grad, grad years, uh, my first grad year especially, a lot of unstructured time. So I, got, up, I, I, I got into my brain that I, I wanted to claim what I thought was rightfully mine. Let me explain. I was in my early 20s. I was hitting the gym pretty much every day of the week. I was in the best shape of my life. I had the car. I had the girl. I had the social status. This was pre-social media. And I had the social status. I had the continued academic success, which gave me high hopes of a lucrative career once I finished grad school. And yet, I was at the lowest point in my life. Behind closed doors, I was deeply depressed. Um, I find my f myself crying in distress weekly for no apparent reason. I had created this image of seeming perfection and achievement that I had sort of arrived. And to protect this perfect image, I insulated my life from others. And then I lost everything. Um, one by one, my tower had come crashing down. My physical fitness regimen took a knock by a chronic back issue that had been uh, diagnosed when I was a, an early teenager and it, it just had to stop my, 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 um, my fitness um, plan. I lost the car, the, the crankshaft literally broke in half. Everything was fine, I was fine, but the car was not. I lost the girl, a year plus, my longest relationship that, that I had ultimately misused and abused. I went from big man on campus to no man on campus and numb from it all, I gave up trying to fix it because I knew it was beyond repair. So I went into hiding. And then an unexpected interruption, an invitation from three guys at university whom I had known for the last few years who had come over to come over to their house one evening, an evening of just verbal offloading. They didn't really say much that night. I don't remember what I said, but apparently I was the only one doing the talking. But I just had to offload. I had to share my cocoon, that what I stored in it, and all that despair that kind of got just um, bundled up. I had to let it out. And all this was followed by many months of evenings and times to be vulnerable, to listen, and to share, and to learn about others' struggles, about others' stories, about how God had intervened. And most of all, this is the thing about how God changed people's lives. Now, as I said, my, 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 my um, father was a pastor. I was no stranger to church. Um, it was like a second home to me um, in, in the sort of literal sense. I was there almost every day and right next to our house. And, um, but I hadn't made a decision yet, a personal decision, until this time. 23 years ago, I came rebirth. The same guys who moved towards me when I was at the, my lowest a few months before invited me to the, a trip to the other side of the country to spend two weeks with others to learn more about Jesus. Now, it was in a coastal setting, not unlike our beloved valley, big mountains, vast seas, and ironically, on a university campus, not unlike the campus where I had attempted to build that perfect image. But, but this time, there were no students or professors to impress. There was no girl to win. There was no image to project and keep. It was summer break. The, the, the campus was empty. It was just a group, small group of us and the facilitators for two weeks, campus to ourselves. And about midway through our time there, on a cool of the summer morning, on the, the, uh, a cliff that looked out at the Pacific Ocean, I met Jesus. 
It was in turning, uh, during a, just a, a regular intentional time that we were doing at the, um, at the, during that time to, to just set some time aside to start our day. In the word, where God led us, morning devotion, to read a passage from the Bible, to reflect, and to pray. And those words on the page and the truth that those words had communicated came alive in my heart that morning. I can't explain why or how, but, I, but, but I'm not going to tell you what that passage is. Peter gave it away, but let me just um, read in my journal. Okay, so this was mm, the 5th of June, 2001. Sorry, just less than 23 years ago. Um, I wrote down the verse, and I said, I memorized this verse yesterday. And this morning in our group meeting, we were, we were asked to recite any verse we've been, we've been uh, um, working on. <laughs> I hesitated. Um, I felt like it's showing off. Um, but in, uh, so I never did. But, it, it, but, but actually, after spending an, uh, one and a half hours <laughs> studying this verse, um, I, I just I can say it with all my heart. And it's more than just the memorization that, that I had in class. I'm just learning for the test. It's meant something more, like it's in my heart, not my head. And I go on. But basically, I met Jesus through this passage. And we're going to get to that passage just now. But first, I need to finish the story, which is almost done. 2002, we're going to zoom ahead. 2002, I got my first full-time job after grad school in a different city, a different state, different part of the country where I didn't know anyone. And in a matter of weeks, thanks to the God working through the suggestion of a totally separate connected mutual friend they had made in the months after the decision to follow Christ. I found myself in a vibrant community of believers. It was a church that loved God and loved people and was full of others who were in a similar life stage as me. And towards the end of that year, I met a special person called Natasha. Okay, so this was uh, in, in uh, the 12th of December, 2002. Got to get some thoughts down. Mind and heart have been running wild lately in competition with each other. Yesterday I met a Natasha, a young woman from South Africa, whom I had first, had first met at church I'd been attending. Um, and I guess it was a few months ago when we were introduced, but for some reason she didn't catch my eye until the last month um, in November. It was, it was then when we had our first conversation. Though it was short and indirect, a friend was with me at the time, I felt drawn to her. I felt drawn to her, and it goes on, but um, I, um, yeah, <laughs> I have the Bible to get you now, but no, um, it was a very special time in my life, because I was, I was still reeling, but at the same time, a lot, had, a lot of water had gone under the bridge with all, the, all that I had lost a year before. So much had happened, um, and a f after a few months of hanging out and a year of dating, 2004 dawned, 20 years ago. Now, 2004 was a bumper year, and it all happened in the context of a vibrant faith community. That's a key difference I wanted to point out. I was baptized a, uh, a week from now, uh, 20 years. Um, I was engaged um, 20 years ago this, this weekend. I was married in May this year. We celebrate 20 years. And it was also made my first visit to Cape Town this year, 20 years ago this year as well. Life has been a wild ride in the last 20 years. So quick, last 20 years, we've called 12 different places home. 
one of which was inside of a Land Rover in a tent for six months, another of which we, we were humbled to call our own for the last three years and counting. In the last 20 years, there have been three international moves, multiple changes in employment from run you ragged corporate work to doing unpaid nonprofit work to paid nonprofit work to running a nonprofit to freelancing to a, a year of unemployment in there somewhere. And now, we each have an employer that values family and healthy work-life balance, and in fact, at mid-career, I am grateful to be in a season of my, what I believe is my best vocational life. And more significantly, Natasha and I celebrate 20 years uh, this year, along with it, two kids, two dogs, three tortoises, three ducks, now living their best life in Imhoff gift. <laughs> Our garden thanks us, and four rabbits, actually now three, uh, thanks to the aforementioned dogs. <laughs> we will... Uh, Celebrate our 20th, Natasha and me, by going someplace special, I figure. Um, for a five-year anniversary, we went to the Maldives. But now, with home ownership bills, kids, and the economy, we'll celebrate by going someplace different to the Maldives, maybe like the mall. <laughs> Natasha, are you here? Sorry. I'm just springing on you. No, we're chatting. We're chatting about uh, plans, plans. But the now snapshot of life seems like a dream, right? I'm so grateful for what God has been doing in our life, and yet, and yet... Despite the beautiful life I've been given, despite the, the scriptural truths that I've learned about Jesus' love since following him, I forget myself. I forget to focus I, 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 on him and not me. This self-focus starts, starts to come in again. I'm prone to reverting to my old ways, old behavior, perfection at a cost. You know, it doesn't seem so bad. But that's how all stories start, right? Perfection at a cost, that's not bad. It's, 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 it's not so bad. It's some, somewhere on here on the spectrum, right? No. Work had become the new classroom. I needed to excel to get to the next promotion. And, and there was a season, and thankfully it's passed now, but I would get an intense headache every Monday afternoon for years. Natasha will tell you this. Um, it was as if my body was paying penance to get back to, into work mode after a weekend of, of, of rest. I was, I was just starting to get into a workaholic behavior. The work still easily became the focus to a fault, and not just work, just trying to hold it all together, keeping up appearances, being hyper-aware of every detail, trying too hard, and as a result, prioritizing tasks and to-dos over people. Know this behavior, um, it strains and strains relationships, especially those closest to me. My words, my actions, or lack thereof, and ultimately, this robs me and them from the fullness of life, that is, to love others with the same love that moved God to send Jesus to live and die for us. And yet, time and time again, God uses Scripture to draw me back to the truth, which brings me to the verse I want to share. And I have many others, just, but, but this is the main one. This is the one I found on that, on that day uh, 23 years ago. For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What's it mean? Well, in short, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. The context of this passage is that some people in the city of Colossae were, were saying that Jesus was not enough. He, he wasn't sufficient enough to be our savior. Uh, the, they said that his work in saving us needed, needed extra uh, help from angels, from visionary experiences and rituals. They had nothing to do with Jesus. But Jesus is indeed enough. 
Nothing extra is needed. Jesus, this verse says, Jesus is redeemer and reconciler. Redeem. Redemption. And that's what I call church words, right? We, we hear them more often in church than anywhere else, but we, we can easily glaze over it if we've been around long enough. And so I want to just offer a little refresher on the word. Redemption literally means ransom, as in an exchange for a prisoner. Yet we're, yep, like we're, we're the prisoner. Christ, sinless and God's own son, is the ransom. And God sent Christ to purchase our freedom. God sent Christ to purchase our freedom. And in these verses, we learn three things. Let me go through them quickly, but three things about God's gift of redemption through Jesus. One, we once lived in the domain or the dominion of darkness. We might not realize it, but, but outside of Jesus, we're blind to the glories of the gospel, about this news about Christ. We, we might be highly educated, yet still be hopelessly out of touch with reality, ultimate reality. In Ephesians 2, we see Paul right there, where he unpacks some sobering dimensions of the dark domain we live in. Read with me. As, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you, you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and, the, and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So without Jesus, death is our destiny. And in fact, we were already dead in our sins. We deserve nothing. Another thing we learned from that passage is that we're ruled by the prince of power of the air. Who's that? It's Satan himself who holds us captive in darkness and sin. I want to say that there is a spiritual realm that is truly the dark side, and it's real. And even at our best, we also learn here that we're simply ruled by the desires of the sinful nature. Even at our best, as try, try as we can, try and try as I might through my years, we are still sinful. And this is particularly sobering for me. And then worst of all, under God's judgment, is what we're under. In this domain of darkness, though there may be exciting times in our lives, there are. Yet, from God's perspective, there is a tragic gloominess hanging over our lives. So that's the really bad news. But now for the good news. Another thing we learn from Colossians 1, 13 to 14 is that we have been qualified to enter the kingdom of light. Now I'm cheeky. I'm grabbing verse 12 to just show, show this. But just before these two verses, it says this, giving joyful thanks to the Father, and then who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Do you see it? God has qualified you and me to enter his kingdom. Now, this is big. Both Natasha and I have uh, happened to have recruitment as a big part of our roles at our respective companies. And for recruitment, having qualifications for the job's requirements is a big part of the recruitment process, right? Having good character, too. But this isn't simply about matching a set of skills to a job vacancy or, or just being a nice person with a good reference letter. As we just heard, darkness abounds, and our sinful hearts put us there. There's nothing that we can do that, that can even get close to qualification. We should not even be shortlisted, let alone interviewed. <laughs> we couldn't be further from it. No resume, 
No letter of reference would make a difference. Try and try as we might on our own. Even John the Baptist, who before Jesus could be considered to be the greatest man of God's character to have ever lived, said this of his relation and telling of Jesus' coming. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What does that mean? Well, in those days, the roads were nothing more than dirt paths littered with animal excrement and, and foot coverings were very crude in that time. And given how dirty's, dirty, feet, uh, dirty's, dirty people's feet became from walking through the dust and the excrement, the job of washing someone else's feet was considered so low that only the lowest slaves were obliged to do it. John the Baptist is saying that compared to Jesus, he is so worthless that he isn't even worthy to untie his sandals. Wow. What is this kingdom, though? This kingdom, what's, tell us more about it. It's a kingdom of light, we saw in verse 12, and it's a kingdom of the sun, we see in these, this passage, 13 and 14. We come into contact with Jesus in this kingdom, who conquered death on the cross in victory and is our ultimate reality. God opened our eyes and turned us from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. Gustav Allen, he's a Swedish Lutheran bishop who, who wrote the landmark book Christus Victor, which argued that the work of Christ is first and foremost a victory over the powers that hold mankind in, in bondage, sin, death, and the devil. The victory of Christ creates a new situation, bringing their rule to an end and setting men free from their dominion. In this kingdom, instead of being governed by the sinful nature, there is the invitation to live in the spirit who indwells us in us and prompts us with his leadings. And best of all, we're under the gracious rule of God, the king. He's not cruel. He's not corrupt. He's not oppressive. Rather, he reigns over us with grace, wisdom, power, righteousness. And even when the circumstances seem dark, yet a wonderful light hangs over our lives. And this is the glorious possibility of living the life we're meant to live here and now. Not a cocoon of seeming perfection. Not anything else. Fill in the blank for you. This is the glorious possibility of living the life you and I were meant to live. The kingdom is the kingdom of the beloved son. God loves and delights in his son and we too delight in his son. Mind-blowingly, God loves and delights in us as much as he loves and delights in, his, in Jesus, his own son. In John 17, when praying God to God, Jesus, Jesus said this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. One more thing about this gift of redemption. The act of entering his kingdom was like a transfer of citizenship. And that transfer of citizenship is nothing less than God's liberating intervention. The moment we trust in Jesus, we lose our citizenship in the kingdom of darkness. We're now legal citizens in the kingdom of light. Our new identity documents are written in Christ's own blood. It's been done. It's not a 10-stage process. It's not waiting for home affairs to call. We're not. 
It's a one-stage redefinition of our entire lives in the sight of God. Paul seems to have in mind when he's writing this that the, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt and a, a literal domain of darkness at that time. They were, they were rescued. They were redeemed by God, both by the bloody sacrifice of a lamb and by his power, which replanted them into a new land. That ancient liberation of the Israelites points to what Jesus has done for you and me. We've been delivered. The passage says we've been rescued. We, we've been other translation says we've been delivered. In Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But we have been released from the slavery at a cost. And the cost of our release is Christ's blood. No longer slaves to sin. Satan or death, we've been delivered and redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. Past, present, and what's to come. We are new citizens. The moment we trust in Jesus, we're transferred into his kingdom. And we might have to unlearn our old ways and learn how to live in this new kingdom. And it will take time to change our ways. But at no point will our citizenship ever be taken back. The transfer is sheer act of grace, and it's for all eternity. This is good news. God has worked through Christ to secure redemption and reconciliation for all who trust him. Jesus really is enough. I'm going to ask the band to come up. There's a few more things to say as we prepare to, to, uh, to close and wrap. And I just want to say a, story, a quick story. Um, in April of 2013, a crime novel came out and was called The Cuckoo's Calling. It was released by an author called Robert Galbraith. In the first two months or so, about 1,500 copies of the printed book were sold and another 7,000 copies, decent start of, of the ebook and audiobook. But the book surged from 4,709th to the best novel on Amazon.com when it was released in July 2013, when it was revealed, rather. Revealed in July 2013, just a few, few months after it was released. But the book was not written by Robert Galbraith. It was a pseudonym for J.K. Rowling. J.K. Rowling, obviously well, well known for the Harry Potter books. Some signed copies of these first editions are selling for more than $4,000. And the book received almost universal critical acclaim. But most of the reviews came after Rowling, Rowling was, was known as the author. The mere mention of Rowling's name changed everything. Scripture reminds us how the name of Jesus, God's love incarnate, should impact us and change everything. We know in our deepest hearts that we don't measure up by our own standards, let alone God's. And most people struggle with God's love because of this. They don't get it. I don't get it. I didn't get it. Trying to keep up appearances, I was haggard and tired and, and at, the, at the bottom of the pit. And yet, God's love and affection was made possible through Christ. God chose to save us when we were at our worst. He chose to die for us at our very worst in order to give us his very best. This truth right now as we sit here and as we're about to stand to sing, it might be clear right now. Maybe, I hope, I pray. But can I encourage us to return or dig deeper into his word this year? No other habit can, can do more to transform your life and my life and to make you more like Jesus than daily reflection on scripture. We don't drift into maturity. 
It's a lifelong process. Won't you let him to continue to shape you and me? After all, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.